It is without a doubt that I think we can all say that we are longing for that valley, a place in paradise for eternity where we dwell with our God, where we spend eternity with the angels, and where we have the opportunity to be with the saints who have been redeemed, who have gone before us that we miss, those who will come after us, and we will all be together with our God. invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, where we're just going to read a couple of verses to set the stage for our study together this morning. We're glad that you are here. As Brother Jason pointed out, we have a number of people who are visiting with us, uh, some for the first time or some for the second or third time, and whatever the case may be, we're glad that you are here. We try very hard as a congregation, and I think we try as individual Christians to do the things that the Lord wants us to do. That really should go without saying. Our effort is to please our God and to conduct ourselves accordingly in service, whether we are in an occasion like this, coming together to worship our God, or whether we are out in our daily walk. And we are interacting with a world that is sometimes void of shame, as we'll read here in Jeremiah chapter 6. But in Jeremiah chapter 6, as the weeping prophet, as he is nicknamed or known in some circles, he says, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly in verse 14, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, he's really condemning a group of people for their failure to do what the Lord has asked them to do repeatedly in the past and what he's asking them to do in the present. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? And the answer to this obvious question was no, they weren't ashamed at all. They were not ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Now, I'm convinced that when Jeremiah wrote these words some 26, 2700 years ago, that he wasn't thinking about the topic for our study together today. But invariably, it seems to me that whenever we are talking about the subject about which we're going to spend our time, Jeremiah 6, 15 seems to fit quite nicely. We live in a society wherein people do not know how to be ashamed or how to blush. Wherein men and women, women and men, young and old, old and young, it doesn't matter what your age or as we talked about a few moments ago, what your socioeconomic background is, we deal with the problem of temptation and certainly we must address this subject that we deal with from time to time, and that is the subject of immodesty, dressing appropriately, making sure that we are not causing others to be ashamed or that we are not ashaming ourselves. This is a topic that is not always an easy one to discuss, and I will grant you that. And it's not easy to discuss for a couple of reasons. One is because sometimes we step on toes and we say things as preachers or as elders or as Bible class teachers or as parents that are conflicting with what our wishes are. The other thing that comes to mind, and as a preacher, maybe I'm unique in this, we have a number of preachers in in our group together today, 
And that is, sometimes you run the risk of talking about a subject so often that people will tune you out that you don't talk about it for a period of time. And then you go a year or two or three or four or maybe longer without talking about the very subjects that you think you're talking about more frequently. And so this is one of those occasions where it may be that we haven't talked about this in the last year or two. And here we are in an era, in a time, in a country with lots of liberal philosophies and beliefs. And I want us to look at four important observations on this subject together. And I will submit to you that not only is Jeremiah not necessarily talking about immodesty here in Jeremiah chapter 6, it's not, I don't think, the thrust of where he's going, that it certainly fits that we are a people generally, and I'm talking about not, not as Christians, but I'm talking about as human beings, particularly in the Western world, the United States and most of the civilized world, where we do not know how to be ashamed or where things do not shame us in the way that they once did. Let me also submit to you that I will not address every particular situation that you may want addressed. And there are some who want a sermon on this, and so I certainly want to oblige in talking about the things that are on the minds of our people, both young and older. And I may not deal with every instance. Every hymnline will not be addressed in the course of our subject together today. But I do want to talk about four observations. One of those is the fact that the Bible speaks on the subject. And whenever the Bible speaks on the subject, we need to address that particular subject. Now, I would agree with you that those of you that say, wait a minute, I don't think the Bible talks about modesty in terms of appearances uh, on multiple occasions, I would agree with you that the Bible's reference to immodesty, at least by name or by specific reference, is relatively minimal. And we are going to take the time to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, and read a couple of verses to establish the context, because this is the verse that invariably we go to to talk about the subject of making sure that we are adorned appropriately. And that includes, though it's not limited to, the amount of clothes that you wear, or as is often the case, the clothes that a person chooses not to wear and therefore proves himself or herself to be immodest. He says, this is the Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, so he's not riding his hobby horse. He's not picking this subject just out of the wind to say, let me talk about modesty, but the Holy Spirit is moving him to talk about things. And he says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what is proper for women professing godliness with good works. There's a lot to be said, and this is not a textual sermon. This is not an expository sermon where we're going to really delve into those three verses. I do think it is important to appreciate that the context is slightly different here than maybe it is today, 2,000 years ago. That is, there were individuals who would come into public assemblies and they would be decked out to a degree that they would supersede everybody else and get the attention of everyone else. Sometimes not for the lack of clothing, but for the excess of clothing or the excess of jewelry or the excess of some sort of a hairdo. 
The fact is, is the English Standard Version uses the reference to respectable apparel and exercising self-control here in verse 9. But even though the time is different, some 2,2100 years later, I would submit to you that the applications that we make are as relevant today as they are, as they would be 2,000 to 2,100 years ago when this particular passage was entered into the text where Paul wrote to Timothy. Let me suggest to you two other passages that I think kind of lay the groundwork for the fact that the Bible speaks in the New Testament. One of those is in Galatians chapter 5, and I appreciate our good brother reading from Galatians chapter 5. We won't go back and reread those five or six verses. But one of the things that jumped out to me just as he was reading that I had never noticed before is that there in Galatians chapter 5, if you read verses 19 through 22, or verses 19 through 21, where you see those three verses that are talking about all the evil in the world and all the ugly stuff that we are not to be involved in, and that's a long list of about a dozen or so things, a third of them are directly related to what we're talking about today. Whether it be lewdness, whether it be lust, the fact is is there's so much focused on that particular subject that a third of the inspired writer's section here in verses 19, 20, and 21 is dedicated to this particular concept. Furthermore, I'm reminded of what Paul would write by the, inspired, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, beginning, he says, For the grace that appears, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Titus 2, verse 11. Teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Now, I would agree that not only is the concept of modesty not really being focused on in verses 11 through 15, you can certainly see where the idea of purity, where we are the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, certainly fit with the nature of exactly what Paul would write to Timothy just a few pages back and just a few moments ago in our study in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 9. Simply put, I would submit to you that there is a way of the world and a way of the Lord. And I've underlined both those because those are two in polar opposite camps that's different. We're not to be of the world, but we are to be of the Lord. And that's true in the way that we talk. That's true in the way that we dress. It's true in the way that we react to others. Let me suggest to you also that I believe there may be, and there is some debate that we could engage in that may be viable, but some Old Testament uh, patterns or groundwork that can help us to understand God's views. Let me share with you just two passages that I remember hearing about years and years ago when I was a very young person that I thought was interesting 
and that I thought was kind of helpful to give us a little bit of a groundwork, kind of pull back the curtain and see how does God think about these particular things. I want to look at the book of Exodus, then I want to go back to the book of Genesis. To the book of Exodus chapter 28 in verse 42. And you may be looking at this and saying, well, I don't understand what in the world this has to do with our subject. Those of you that are familiar with Exodus 28 already know where I'm going. But again, just kind of pulling back the curtain to get a picture of what God views as appropriate and as inappropriate in terms of people seeing about ourselves. And in chapter 28, it's going through the list of things, the breastplate, the ephod, the other garments associated with the priest. And in verse 41, so you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And then it just seems interesting to me that God, by way of the Holy Spirit, through his perfect design, says, I want there to be certain garments to be worn, not just for sophistication, not just for appearance, not just to show the grandeur of God, but to protect these individuals from being seen in an inappropriate way. And in verse 42, you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his son so that when they come to the tabernacle meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place and they do not incur so that they do not incur iniquity and die, it shall be a statute forever to to him and to his descendants who are after him. It seems to me, and I put in quotes, that God was concerned about nakedness even though it wasn't truly nakedness. We understand the difference between them. A person can be naked but yet not be naked according to God. More about that in just a moment. Let me suggest to you also that the ESV makes reference to the hips and thighs. Now, again, I'm not getting into hymn lines today. That'll be for David's sermon later. We'll let him deal with, with the hymn lines. But with all, so there needs to be a little bit of levity to a serious sermon such as this. But I appreciate the fact that God says just be cautious, if nothing else. He's saying be cautious so that these things are done in appropriate fashion. Well, the same is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. You remember what happened there, that Adam and Eve sinned in the first couple of verses. We talked about that just a couple of days ago when Brother Kerry talked about Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. And he put those images on the screen that gave you nightmares Wednesday evening. And the fact is, is man sinned. And then they saw themselves in a way that was more open than what they had previously seen themselves. And so what did they do? Well, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, the text records for us that seeing that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings or some sort of girded covering or apron. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord says, where are you? He says, I've heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And Adam says, I hid myself. Now, interestingly enough, that he's not technically, now understand where I'm going here. He's got some sort of covering on. But he says, I'm naked. I covered myself. I think there's other reasons why he's hiding. Don't get me wrong. 
I think the shame of what he's done wrong is what's driving them to hide most likely here. But then drop down to verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of the living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. There was a real shame in being naked. And it's, it's, it's comical, but yet not comical whenever uh, maybe... Uh, someone comes over to your house and you're not ready for them and say, well, hang on just a second. I'll be to the door in just a minute. I'm going to get myself ready for you. Even covered, Adam calls it nakedness, but God completely covers the nakedness. Now, we don't know exactly what all the Lord covered. There are some studies that can be done to show that. The point that I'm making is that nakedness is not nakedness, but nakedness is nakedness. Now, if you're not confused, I hope you're not confused. The point that I'm trying to make is that God always, from the very beginning, said, I don't want you to just go out showing everything or even showing most things to just anybody, but rather that you cover it with a sense of moderation or the word that we're using today is the word modesty. Now, it seems to me on this final slide of this first major observation that the New Testament highlights how such nakedness leads to sin. Let me share with you just two applications at the outset of our study, at the conclusion of this first major observation. That is number one, an immodestly dressed person himself or herself is already in sin. Go back to Proverbs chapter 5 and and read where the wise man counsels the, the young preacher, the young man, about his caution. He says, remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. This is that scary section that's always bothered me to read because it talks about don't go near where there's going to be danger of any sort of temptation. He says, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and the labors go to the house of a foreigner. That's Proverbs chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Drop down to verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. For you, verse 20, for why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? The point that I'm trying to make simply is this, is that a person who is not clothed appropriately is a person who is reserved for one other person. We know that Hebrews chapter 13 talks about how marriage is honorable and that that is appropriate for a man and a woman to have that kind of relationship. Let me suggest to you, secondly, as an application, that an immodestly dressed person, I chose my verb here carefully, encourages others to sin. And you could debate the word encourages there and say, well... Maybe there should be a stronger word, or maybe that's too strong of a word. And one of the things that I wanted to point out in our study together today is that you will have individuals who will say, I'm not responsible for someone else's wrongdoing. And there's truth to that, right? I mean, ultimately, you're responsible for your actions, and you're responsible for your thoughts, But let me put it to you a different way. If you are a person who is prone to alcohol abuse, if you're a person who is prone to drug use, if you're a person who's prone to lying, 
And I purposely put you in a position or in a place wherein there's going to be alcohol, where there's going to be drug use, where there's going to be uh, people of a sordid kind of behavior. Am I not partially responsible for leading you to the very place where I'm trying to, as a Christian, keep you away from? And we would all answer and say, absolutely, amen. And so there is something to be said for men and certainly for women in being cautious about the way that we dress so as to keep others from thinking wrongly about us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, a couple of verses that I remember memorizing as a very young boy in Bible class, the Bible says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The broader context here is where Jesus is saying, You can't just say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't kill the person. I didn't beat the person, but I sure thought badly about the person. And the same is true when we're talking about temptations of a visual nature. We need to ask the question, true for men, true for women, what example am I setting in the way that I'm choosing to dress? Let me suggest to you three facts to face. And we're going to go now to a different aspect of our study together today and say some things that are uh, maybe a little uncomfortable, but I think are altogether uh, appropriate. And I'm happy to share with you my notes, as always, if these things are helpful to you in your discussions with others. But number one, we need to appreciate the fact that we as men, more so typically than women, are very visual. And I thought that this was interesting. I came across a few years ago the survey results of a religious website called the revolution.com. And I'm just going to share these particular statistics and we'll let them speak for themselves. And some of them will not be very surprising to you. My goal is not to make anyone uncomfortable, but my goal is to try to talk about things that I think are very important for us to appreciate. One of those is that 84% of men who were polled without having to identify said that any words across the back of a pair of pants or shorts are a potential temptation. So just think about that's 8 out of 10 men who were anonymous, who were able to say, yeah, that, that bothers me, say that's a problem for me. 70%. Almost the same amount, say, a bathing suit or any sort of clothing showing cleavage is a potential temptation. 70% say slits and skirts above the knee are a potential temptation. And the point that I'm simply making here is this, that what a person wears, and this is true of men as well, but certainly we as men who are very visual, and it seems to me that the focus and the thrust of Matthew chapter 5 seems to be towards men, is that what a girl wears can tempt. I wish that weren't the case. And I wish that we could say that we are just always going to act appropriately and use our eyes appropriately. But that's not the way that we are. That's the way that we're trying to be. We're trying to be appropriate. But those are things that need to be assessed and understood. Let me suggest to you this, and that is I think we can all agree that the way a woman sees things is a lot different than how a man sees things. 
That's true not just when we're talking about issues like this. It's true when you're talking about clean up the house. I did clean up the house. (laughs) Not the way that I see it. (laughs) I told you to to sweep. I did sweep. (laughs) You understand that we as men and women think about things differently. The same is true when it comes to matters of temptation. I came across an article that was about an incident some 16 years ago. And the title of the article was simply that suddenly uncomfortable cheerleading uniform. And I won't read the entire article. It's relatively lengthy. But the summation of it simply is this. And that is, it is legal in public to pretty much videotape or take pictures of anything that is out there in public domain. And this was actually a case from Southern California where things are legal that shouldn't be legal in the first place. And I can say that having lived there for 12 years. And there was a man who went to a high school football game and just started videotaping all the cheerleaders. And of course, it made the parents who didn't know this particular man, he wasn't a, he wasn't a parent, he wasn't a grandparent. He was just doing it for his own pleasure And they were very uncomfortable with this, and they asked him to stop. And it went to court, and the court says, there's nothing you can do to stop. It's public. You can do that. And the whole point behind it, and the quote was, you can feel the discomfort in the room and see it on their faces because for the first time, fathers of these daughters are seeing their children through the eyes of someone else and seeing what others are seeing. Number three, in terms of facts, The Bible proves that men are susceptible to the advances of women. And that's true, vice versa, I understand, because as we'll read here in Proverbs chapter 7, just a couple of verses, both men and women are at fault. So this is not intended to be an attack on women and to give those of us as men a free ride, far from it. But I do want to go back to Proverbs chapter 7, and we're just going to read maybe four to six verses of a 21-verse section, where it says, At the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, he took the path to her house. And you know what happens over the course of the next few verses. He gets closer and closer to unrighteousness and to this occasion where he has the opportunity to do wrong. The unfortunate thing is when a person does not have to go searching for those opportunities wherein he could do wrong. And instead those opportunities come to his very front door or to his own computer screen or to his own neighborhood. And the fact is, is we need to be men and women who appreciate that we are different that we have to govern ourselves appropriately. Verse 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Again, these are just principles, but yet facts that are given in Scripture that help us to appreciate the way that God wants us to see these kinds of temptations. Let me suggest you a third observation, and that is this. 
we need to take a moment and just kind of ponder when immodesty appears. Immodest dressed is not an abstraction, but rather something that appears frequently. And again, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to go to Southern California. You don't have to go to places in the world where things are more liberal than they are here. All you have to do is go to your local store. All you have to do is go to your place of work. All you have to do is go to your local school. And you'll see things that are inappropriate. But consider, if you would, three what I would call venues that we may not think about as often as others. Number one, might I suggest formal or special occasions. Now, I don't want to be too dogmatic here, but I am going to be uh, very simple on this particular fact. I think you'll agree with me. And that is, I feel for the women when it comes to special occasions and when it comes to weddings and when it comes to nice events where you're going to come together. Because when it comes to weddings, weddings are pretty easy for us guys. We go buy a tux or rent a tux, $100 at least, well, shows how old I am now. And it shows how often I wear a tuxedo, right? (laughs) It's easy for us. Put on a tie, put on a shirt, put on the pants, put on the jacket, and away we go. And we can be ready, those of you as wives know, in 15 minutes while you're still, still getting your hair started. But weddings are hard for girls. And I don't know that because I have daughters I don't, but I know that because I have sisters, I know that because I have a wife, and I know that because I've been around others. Check out, if you would, the advice from this one particular woman that I came across a few years ago. She said, shopping for a wedding dress can be a very frustrating thing because it's very rare to walk into a bridal shop and find a modest dress right off the rack. Thin straps, strapless, low-cut dresses are in style, but just because they are in style does not make them acceptable to God. I know of one woman who had to spend over $400, not for the dress. That'd be a cheap dress, right? But she bought a wedding dress and spent $400 just making modifications to it so that it would be acceptable to a mixed audience. We as men don't have to make very many modifications to our clothing. That's why I say I think it's more challenging for those of you who are women. By the way, when it comes to proms or award dinners or other so-called fancy affairs, there needs to be some thought carefully what a person either attends in the first place or what a person wears to those particular events. Let me suggest to you that immodesty appears when we say that style demands it. Let me suggest to you that it's hard sometimes to be in style and to not be immodest. Again, those of you that are women struggle with this a little bit more. Most of us uh, who are men aren't in style in the first place, and so we don't even understand what you mean by being in style. But the fact of the matter is, is it is hard for those of you who are females. Now, 
as much as the, and you, some of you may agree with me, some of you ladies may agree with me, some of you may not, depending on your perspective, as much as the internet has made life more difficult for us in some ways, the internet has made things a little bit easier based on some of my conversations with women uh, when it comes to shopping for clothes. This particular person who wrote this article some 15, 16 years ago said, I struggle to find clothes that I like that are not too expensive and do not reveal things that they shouldn't. Believe it or not, there are such clothes that are available. Along with websites that sell modest dresses, although just because you go to a website that says we're selling modest clothing doesn't mean they're selling modest clothing, right? She said, I found a lot of websites which specialize in selling modest apparel. Modest clothing is available. You just have to look for it. So let me suggest you a third thing that you may not think about as some others. And that is sometimes immodesty appears when we worship God. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. I'm coming to worship God. I'm going to wear myself in appropriate, or attire myself appropriately. Not always is that the case. While one might think that the last place we'd find immodest clothing is at church, services, that's not always the case. Let me share with you uh, the advice of a 26-year-old male. Now, if 26 seems old to you, <laughs> it's not. Seems young to me these days. Let me share with you this. This is the, a real-life 26-year-old male Christian who wrote this a number of years ago. And he said the following. He said, in high school... The place of greatest temptation toward lust was my church. Girls wore things to church that they thought were fashionable and dressy, but they would not have passed the dress code of my public high school. And then he pleads and says, Church should never be a guy's greatest source of temptation in any way. Please be especially careful when picking out your dress clothes for church. Make sure that they are modest when sitting and not just standing in front of a mirror. So immodesty appears in all kinds of places, and I haven't even talked about the ones where it is more apparent than these. But note, if you would, the advice of one woman regarding immodest dress at church services. And this particular person says, wearing short skirts or dresses or low-cut shirts and any tight article of clothing to worship services, these are not my words, but the words of a 34-year-old is not only offensive to the Lord, but also offensive to others. Worship is a time wherein Christians should focus on the Lord, where they are truly there to please Him and to remember all that He has done for them. There is also a point to consider regarding the way we dress for worship in general. Again, note, if you would, this woman's advice. And by the way, this particular woman is not some, I was very general here, 100 years old and out of touch with warts all over her face, but rather was a 34-year-old, I almost used the word hip, but that would not work these days, right? <laughs> but a 34-year-old in tune with the world, regular, just 30-some-year-old Christian. So I thought it was interesting to use, and I actually asked her permission a number of years ago if I could keep this and use this on occasions like this, and, and she said that would be fine. 
Let me suggest to you this, that we've got to take action in our final observation. There are three groups of people that particularly need to take action in regard to immodest clothing. And you would say, well, that's all of us. And I, I agree. But let me, let me kind of hone in on three groups of people. Number one is the individuals themselves. That's true for me. That's true for you. And that is certainly the case for those of you. And again, this has not been an attack on women. It's just that we as men, number one, we're not the smartest. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that from some men in the congregation later. Number two, we are very visual in the way that we look at things. And number three, women have it more challenging, it seems to me, in the way that they go about finding clothes. But we as women and as men need to be aware of what we wear and what others see. Let me suggest you another passage from the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 22. And this is a verse that I remember... Uh, first hearing probably some 25 years ago, someone brought this verse up. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. That's a very vivid picture, right? I mean, uh, I have no problem with women wearing jewelry and some, some wear you know, different rings in different places and, and stuff. And you got to take them all out the airport, I guess. I don't know how that works. But the, the point here is not with modern jewelry. The point here is that a ring and a gold, a gold ring and a swine snout is the equivalent of a woman who's lovely, who maybe she's good looking, she can't help that, but she has no discretion. That is a problem, according to the wise man Solomon. Men need to be aware of what they're tempted by and then need to act accordingly. And all of us have different thresholds. All of us have different uh, aspects of what uh, causes us to think differently. That's one of the reasons why I gave those percentages very early on. More about that in just a moment. But let me suggest to you Romans chapter 14, verse 13, which says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. And generally speaking... Being a little more conservative may be advantageous if for no other reason than this. Did an experiment some 15 years ago with a church about, a, about two-thirds the size of our congregation. So I did an experiment, and I had a series of 10 images that I put on the screen for the entire adult congregation to see. And everyone had a sheet of paper with one to ten for each of the ten images. And one, if you gave it a score of one, doesn't bother you, doesn't trigger you, doesn't offend you at all. Ten, that's, that, that is a problem. That is an issue. And I did that with about 100 people or so. And one of the things that I learned is that different people have different perspectives and so the reason, and so what I mean by that is someone would rate something a two and say it doesn't bother me, and then and the person sitting on the pew down the row from them said, that's a nine for me. Now, how there can be that much variation, I'm not really sure. That, that may require some spiritual training uh, as well. My point is this, that we need to be aware that we could, simply by being a little less modest than we could otherwise be, be a problem for someone else in the first place. And therefore, exercising some caution 
might be helpful. Let me suggest to you, number two, that you as parents of young people have an incredibly important job and a hard job, but a valuable job. Parents are to train their children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, the Proverbs writer says they will not depart from it. I appreciate our brother Jason leading us in prayer at the outset of our services today, praying specifically for parents of young children, whether they be young in three, four, five, or whether they be teenage years or whatever the case may be. Parents need to also lead by example. One of the worst things that I've ever experienced is to see in a congregation where you have parents who are immodestly dressed on a routine basis week after week after week, whether it be at worship services or whether it be when you catch them out at the grocery store or see them out in a business place, and then you wonder why their children are not dressed appropriately. And let me suggest to you something that may be a little uncomfortable, and I'm not meaning it to be uncomfortable, but here is a note to fathers, and without being inappropriate, And please understand what I'm saying by this. Take a look at your daughter through the eyes of a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old. Remember what it was like when you were 15 or 16 or 17. And then see it that way. Are you comfortable with what she's wearing when she goes out? On maybe one of her first dates at age 17 or 18 or whatever age that may be. Are you comfortable with her going to church services looking like that? knowing that she's going to be around 16, 17, and 18-year-old males. And number three, let me suggest to you that we as brethren in a local church must take action as well. One of the worst things that can happen is for older church members to wear immodest clothing. And that is because of the example that they set. And I'll let you determine if you're older or a younger member, but we need to be members who set the right example for those who are younger because young people will pick up on it let me suggest one more thing that i haven't talked about but i i thought that just has to be inserted we need to be very careful about what we post on social media and we need to be very careful with what we like on social media you may see a picture perhaps not of a christian perhaps it's of a friend of the world and say well that's a nice picture of them and their family and then you go back after you've already clicked like or you've shared it on your instagram or whatever the case may be oh wait a minute there's something there that just gives me a little bit of pause for concern in the way that they're dressed don't just go liking everything without thinking about because you are in effect giving tacit endorsement to what that person is wearing or as is often the case what they are not wearing Let me also suggest to you that as fathers and even as older men and women in general, that correction is sometimes necessary. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And the spirit of Matthew 18, wherein we go with a spirit of love, where we go directly to that person, should be invoked. I remember hearing... 30 years ago of a young preacher uh, whose wife uh, had worn something that probably was a little bit questionable or maybe take out probably was a little bit questionable. And one of the ladies, one of the older women, 
went and spoke to her and did so in the spirit of, I want to help you, not only as a preacher's wife, (laughs) because for some reason there's sometimes differences between preacher's wives and elder's wives and just others' wives, but, but as a Christian wife, to be cautious about what you're wearing. And that person received it very well and said, thank you, I, I hadn't thought about that. And sometimes, let's just be honest, especially when you are in a culture inundated with what is cute and what is cool to wear and what looks good on the mannequin at the store, you don't think about it from the perspective of a 17-year-old male or a 30-some-year-old male or however old the male is. But the fact is, is we should use the spirit of Matthew 18 and try to suggest, maybe think about that a little bit differently. I understand this is not the most uh, exciting study in which to engage in the sense that it is a little uncomfortable, but I hope that it is one that has been helpful. And I hope that those who say we needed a sermon like this will be pleased with it. Not pleased with my efforts, but pleased with what the scriptures have to say. Because these are things that certainly matter. I could go into more detail. I could go into less detail. And still probably not satisfy the the request of every person who would uh, say, yes, we needed that sermon. Or no, we didn't need that sermon. But I hope we all go back to where we began that we are a people who blush when we are wrong, whether it be in the way that we dress or in the way that we act or in the way that we talk. But I hope that we can understand that we are trying to be those men and women who set good examples for others in the way that we dress, in the way that we talk, and in the way that we act in the world around us. If you're here and maybe you're struggling with a particular issue that we've talked about today... We are not here to put you to shame. We are not here to say, look how horrible you are for the fact that you have been immodest in the past. But maybe you need to clean up your wardrobe. I've known of uh, sermons similar to this where uh, women have gone back, and maybe men too, and they've cleaned out their closets and said, all right, these these three garments are are gone. I'm going to get rid of them. If that's something you need to do privately, you don't need to let us know about that. Just take care of it yourself. If, however, you are struggling in some area, whether it be modesty, whether it be honesty, whether it be integrity, whether it be in your example, maybe in your speech, some area in your life that needs some sort of correction, and as a Christian, you recognize the need to repent and ask for prayers, we're happy to help you with that. Or if you're ready to become a Christian, to become a child of God yet today by being baptized, we'd welcome the opportunity to help you. If we can in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.